to give res show respect to the audience and respect your own business. It was a way to protect it. Ladies and gentlemen, heels and faces, casual wrestling fans, and all you smart marks, I'm Kayfabe AJ, and this is Kayfabe Avenue, and tonight we're bringing you the Raw wrap-up. Now, I'm a few hours removed from Monday Night Raw, so let's get right into it. Um, well, the, this episode was actually historic as it's the lowest raw rating in the history of the show i don't know if that was warranted or not it was actually a, a decent episode i can see why it had some low points but with that being said let's get right into it so it's the, sh the show starts off with a recap of last week um everything from the interaction between hurt business and um AJ Styles, almost Ms. Morrison, Drew McIntyre, Sheamus, everything. Last week was a big clusterfuck of what the hell's going on with Sheamus and Drew tagging and then losing and then fighting each other and then taking each other out for drinks. So very confusing about this title picture. Now, um, originally going into TLC, it was supposed to be Braun Strowman versus Drew McIntyre for the title. But Braun was injured, so Sheamus kind of got pulled into the storyline along with the rest of the guys. It it looks like Miz and Morrison are just the sidekick to the number one contender, you know, waiting to cash in at the right moment. But uh, regardless of how much I hate that aspect of it, this was actually a pretty funny opening. We have a little, like, night before Christmas rendition with a little bit of the dirt sheet flavor. So we, we start off the show after the recap with the dirt sheet. And we have Morrison pretty much looking like he's Braveheart or some shit like that. And they come out. They start reenacting the night before Christmas. But it goes completely different. So it was towards the night before TLC and through the throughout the Thunderdome. Every superstar was excited to hear me read my awesome poem. First, the challenger, the greatest hero for miles and miles, the protagonist of the story, the phenomenal AJ Styles. Next, the champion, and honestly, my second choice. And AJ adds, don't forget my friend Omos with the deep voice. But who would be brave enough to face these foes? But that's where the story gets interesting, because as everyone knows, the WWE champion Drew McIntyre is the bravest of all. A mighty Scottish warrior, so strong and so tall. We see, of course, Morrison is dressed as brave, Braveheart. And he says, they'll never take my freedom. <laughs> Miz continues and says, this Sunday will start out with a bang and a whack. When AJ Styles slams a steel chair across McIntyre's back, then AJ will smash Drew through tables until he's half dead. McIntyre will have visions of tables, ladders, and chairs. Dancing in his head. Now, Drew may pull out his illegal sword. Super illegal. I don't even know why he fucking carries that shit. Um, illegal sword during the fight. But AJ's not scared of this wannabe knight. He swings the mighty sword. 
But AJ dodges and proclaims, Chivalry's dead, like your title reign. <laughs> and then Morris acts like he's stabbing the Miz repeatedly, and they continue the the story. After all this chaos, there arose such a clatter. AJ Styles will climb to the top of the ladder. He'll retrieve the title and prove he has won, and AJ will become the new WWE champion. <laughs> but if AJ should fail and Drew does reap the glory, that's when the Miz attacks and enters our story. The champ is laid out cold, expressionless, and blank. It's time for the Miz, Mr. Money in the Bank. He cashes in the contract and pins AJ one two three. The Miz is once again the champion of all WWE. See now that is what I'm waiting for. Somebody who can actually keep me interested on the mic in the ring with their antics. Somebody who's deserving. Let Let's hope the Miz actually wins the title and doesn't fucking lose the Money in the Bank briefcase on some stupid shit, which seems to be the route they're probably going with since they have no idea what they're doing with John Morrison as the sidekick to the sidekick of the number one contender. So AJ Styles obviously didn't like the little change, the spin that Miz put at the end, saying that he'll pin AJ Styles and be the champion. So they start arguing when Sheamus finally comes out and... Proclaims that they were doing a little community theater, which they really were. The past couple of weeks, they've been doing that. Last week was uh, Miz and Morrison making fun of Sheamus and, and Drew McIntyre's accents. So this week, it's a whole Christmas uh, theme. I think they were just preparing for Christmas a week too early. I don't know. A lot of that Christmas shit kind of took over this episode, which is retarded to me because Monday... We have another episode of Raw, and Christmas is that Friday. So if anything, you wait for fucking SmackDown to actually celebrate Christmas. You don't freaking do it a week before on Raw. Nonetheless, I did enjoy this this little promo segment. That shit was really hilarious. But this leads to Sheamus pretty much coming out to AJ, and um, they would they were scheduled for a matchup this night. But he's ready for a fight right now. The funny part of this, AJ Styles hides behind the Christmas tree which was set up in the ring. And then Sheamus turns around when he looks back, smacked in the face with a Christmas tree. And that kind of jump starts them before we had to commercial um, to head straight into this match. So funny stuff. Um, I don't know what's going on with Sheamus as far as his positioning. Last week, it looked like really strong. He was going to have a little rivalry with Drew. Then they became friends at the end of that segment. So I don't know if they're still pulling the... Sheamus is a good guy, but he's a bad guy. But while he's with Drew, he's good and bad. I don't know. They don't. They don't really know what the fuck to write from week to week. It seems because uh, about three weeks ago, Sheamus was a bad guy, beating the hell out of Big E, and now he's on Raw, uh, playing second fiddle to the champ. So um, this leads into the matchup: AJ Styles versus Sheamus, of course, with. Almost outside. I'm glad that they shortened. Uh, if, if there was ever someone who needed their name to be shortened to one person, it was almost. I was butchering that name week after week after week. And to this day, I still don't know how to pronounce it properly. So thank God for WWE's lack of being able to say two names at once. So we have almost at ringside. 
Uh, pretty decent match back and forth between Sheamus and AJ. Typical stuff you can expect between them. Kind of ended weird. Sheamus uh, was pretty much being broken down the entire match. Uh, his leg was focused on. AJ Styles ends up putting him in like a calf crusher. He ends up holding it in for over a minute. Sheamus gets to the ropes. Um, ends up putting... Uh, Styles ends up going for Styles Clash. He ends up countering it into a white noise. They both end up down on the mat. Sheamus pulls AJ up onto his shoulders in like a fireman's carry. Climbs to the middle rope and then Styles squirms free. Hits the sidekick to Sheamus' lower left leg and dropped him for the win. Uh, covering him for the win. So unlike the other company where you need 150 super kicks to take a win, it took one shot to the leg after the calf crusher to end uh, Sheamus for AJ Styles. So, uh, and yeah, and don't kill me. I agree with JR. Some people need to really understand the significance of a finish or a setup to a finish move. We don't want to see it 150 times a match. It does take away the importance of the move, and it does hinder the performers going forward. If I can take 150 of your super kicks, but tomorrow the main eventer can only take one super kick, that was horrible booking. Your main eventer looks like shit because he cannot withstand one super kick when all these other guys are bounce around doing 150. JR is not the enemy. Listen to the guy. He knows what the fuck he's talking about. Anyways, back to this match. This match, I'll probably give it like a seven and a half. I enjoyed more the antics more so than the match, even though it wasn't a bad match, but you know, it wasn't really captivating me um like an AJ Styles Sheamus match should. So and I like I said, I really don't even like the positioning with Sheamus. I'm confused as to what their direction with him is at this point. Maybe they're just holding him off past this month to eventually get to Drew, which at this part kind of do want to see. They had this big brawl backstage last week, so let's see where that goes. Um, after the match, Styles is pretty much talking shit to Sheamus outside the ring. Sheamus reaches over the ropes to try to grab Styles, but almost ends up attacking Sheamus. Um, Sheamus gets, almost gets Sheamus' feet wrapped up in a tree of woe between the top and middle ropes. So he's hanging on the outside of the ring, unable to get out. Almost ends up getting a chair to AJ Styles, who ends up beating Sheamus repeatedly with the chair. And um, Styles yells, you still want to be part of the problem. Um, he, he starts talking more shit to Sheamus as um, Michael Cole's pretty much hyping this on commentary, hyping the match Styles versus McIntyre TLC. He has, uh, Styles ends up picking up the chair, whacking Sheamus a few more times with it, and then leaves up the ramp telling Sheamus to enjoy that. And he can talk to his friend in the hospital about it on Sunday night. Hilarious, hilarious shit. <laughs> shit talking from AJ Styles. And again, Sheamus is the foil. Why? Why is he the example? A former WWE champion. One of the rare heavyweights that can probably go with anyone on that fucking roster. Why is he the foil for the champion? Why isn't AJ Styles actually attacking the champion? Why is The Miz and Morrison behind AJ Styles attacking everyone but the champion. And then on top of that, you have this whole segment that they go into this Christmas theme uh, poem The Miz made. Where the fuck did The Miz and Morrison disappear to when Sheamus came down the ring? You have a 3 and one advantage. This match should have been two minutes long with uh, Sheamus getting his ass beat. 
uh, uh, you know, they they do this a lot every week. I see, I, I you know, the past three weeks especially, I've been seeing the Miz and Morrison get set up to look like they're possibly gonna cash in the money in the bank just to either get lost on the sideline. They get a, a tap on the jaw and they're out for the rest of the main event or they're out for the rest of the segment. The closing of Raw last week saw Miz and Morrison completely d- disappear while Drew McIntyre ends up getting the the you know um the better of them. It, it just doesn't make sense to me. You're the money in the bank guy. You have a lackey with you and John Morrison. You guys have a number one contender who's helping you guys and using you guys to advantage. Where the hell did you guys disappear to? Was there another episode of Dirt Sheet you guys were supposed to do in the back or something? Complete miss on on that part. Miz and Morrison should not have been involved if they were going to just drift into obscurity during this match and then don't even assist in the attack of Sheamus afterwards. Bad booking. We need to get past this. We need to get past TLC. And we need to open up this world title picture more clearer. This is still scrambling for the Braun Strowman shit. And honestly, you guys had about three, four weeks to get this right. And right now, the champion ain't even in the main story to open the show. It's the number one contender, everyone but the champion. So let's continue on from that. That's my rant for the start of the show. But um, we end up getting a little hype up promo for NXT, actually. And Karrion Cross's return. They they um then take us back to last week with Jeff Hardy's interaction with uh, Matt Riddle trying to start the Hardy Bros, um you know sponsored by Bro Nuts, so um pretty much you know the recap of that from last week a lot of fucking recap. Do people have that much short term memory? Um, so then we go backstage with uh, the members of the Hurt Business and they walk around catering because, you know, typically that's where all the good talent is at catering, being unused. Uh, they see a guy wearing a WWE crew shirt eating Matt Riddle's bro nuts. It is catching on. I will definitely buy some bro nuts. They uh, end up harassing the guy, pouring a gallon of milk over his head. The interviewer, I forget her name, Sarah something, uh, sees that, tries to like dart off but they stop her um end up uh telling her to pretty much interview the hurt business and she asks mvp about his focus tonight about matt riddle since they're gonna have a one-on-one mvp says he's gonna teach riddle about respect but he's gonna teach sarah about journalism because the real question should have been what about shelton benjamin bobby lashley and cedric uh cedric alexander He tells us that they're going to hurt the New Day and Jeff Hardy. And Ashley adds that they'll send them to their own world of hurt. Ooh, nice hurt business catchphrase. Um, I agree. Why the hell are you asking about MVP? He's just the fucking mouthpiece. Uh, Focus on, you know, Cedric Alexander, the guy who's been getting the better of the New Day. Even, you know, tech. Let's put an asterisk on that. The better of the New Day with an asterisk. Because every time he does beat the New Day is after the New Day already won. So, regardless, they should focus on Cedric a little bit more. Especially since he's been showing more personality. Three weeks ago on Raw, he had a little outburst um, after his win. Kind of left the Hurt Business ring. It was a weird transition the following week. 
you know, outside a little Twitter fun with Big Swole saying he got some because of that match, it was more of the same. He ends up challenging Kofi Kingston after Kofi Kingston beat Shelton Benjamin and then ends up beating uh, Kofi Kingston. So they should focus on Cedric a little more and ask Shelton, oh, dude, why do you keep losing and why do you need your partner to play cleanup? Shelton Benjamin is a fucking veteran at this point. Treat him as such. This man has been everywhere. New Japan, you name it. Treat him like this man got talent. Stop treating him like he's... He should be where Cedric is now. Cedric is losing because you're the young dude on in the, in the group. And you know what? As the veteran guy who's not the United States champion and is not the mouthpiece of this, let me show you what I can do in ring. So far, Shelton Benjamin has done nothing but win a 24-7 title, lose a 24-7 title, act like he's about to win a tag team championship, never win it. So they need to work on that shit. Work on the Hurt Business, specifically Shelton and Cedric Alexander. So um, after that, we get Jeff Hardy, Matt Riddle, the New Day backstage, and of course, Matt Riddle promoting the Bro Nuts. And it looks like Jeff Hardy's finally on board with this Hardy Bros situation as the New Day and Jeff Hardy have a match versus the other three members of the Hurt Business, excluding MVP. Jeff Hardy uh, reaches out to Riddle and says, you know what, maybe we can do this Hardy Bros. He comes out and uh, would it be second? No, uh, fourths the New Day and um, Jeff Hardy. So he comes out to support them at ringside. We get the matchup, Jeff, New Day versus the Hurt Business. And what can I say other than typical match, her business, and that's not taking nothing away from them. All these guys are talented, but I feel like a lot of their matches is like we've seen this. We've seen this repeatedly. You just take out, replace New Day for Retribution, and we've seen this match a few times. Um, But nonetheless, on the rare side of things, the Hurt Business actually wins uh, by submission. So... To wrap up the ending of this match, uh, Woods goes flying out onto Lashley. Lashley fights them off in, in the ring. Alexander attempts a backslide pin, then two roll-ups. Hardy fights back against Cedric Alexander and sends Alexander into the ropes. Doesn't see the blind tag by Bobby Lashley. Hardy hits the twist of fate on uh, Alexander. Lashley comes in and wastes no time with the hurt lock, beating Jeff with the submission. So... I do like how they've been using Bobby Lashley in particular. This match, I'll give it about a seven. But Bobby Lashley has been packaged as that dominant champion, as the big guy of the group. Um, almost every single person who stepped in the ring about, uh, with Lashley the past couple of weeks has tapped out to the Hurt Lock, as they should. So before we carry on to the rest of the show... Let's take a quick break to our sponsors, the people who support Kayfabe Avenue, keep the lights on, and keep this Kayfabe Avenue train going. We'll be right back after these messages. And we're back. We left off with the Hurt Business submitting Jeff Hardy, Bobby Lashley's Hurt Lock for the win. Uh, so next up, we got another, yet another fucking recap. Guys. Do you ever wonder that your rating is declining because you spent half of a three-hour show recapping the last three-hour show you had? Come on, guys. Stop insulting our intelligence. We keep on. We carry it. We, 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 you know, keep up with all these fucking stories. And if we don't, we see it online the next day. 
Stop insulting our intelligence. You don't have to recap every single segment. Every single segment. So, recap with Lana and Nia Jax. All their, you know, rivalry so far. See clips from last week with uh, Nia and Shayna. And their match with Jax and Lana. Uh, Shayna and, and Jax decided that Jax should beat Lana until she has boobs on her back. That was that was pretty funny last week. I, it made me giggle a little bit. Um... But, yeah, more of that, they end up showing how Asuka got the win or whatever the case may be. But then we go backstage with Asuka and Lana. And if there's anything that's amazing coming out of this whole story is the fact that they finally have faith in Asuka to talk English. English! They have failed to provide subtitles that say nobody is ready for Asuka. So at least finally they're letting her come across as she's competent enough to get a couple of words across. And this has probably been the most expressive we've seen Asuka ever. So uh, Lana was nervous and pretty much saying that she she wants to go alone. And Asuka, you know, of course, speaking probably the most English we've ever seen in her entire WWE career. As of telling Lana that she believes in her and that Lana's a, the bravest person she knows considering she's, you know, stepping up to the bully of Nia Jax. Tells Lana to go out there, beat Jax, and says that they're a team and there will be the women's tag team champions come TLC. So, we'll see about that. So, we have Lana versus the injurer, Nia Jax. You will forever be the injurer. I'm sorry, Nia. I love you, but I hate you. Uh, Lana makes her way out. And we had to break. So, you know, let's do all this hype up. Let's get Lana into this picture just so we can forget about her and go to commercial break. Uh, we got a commercial for uh, SmackDown this Friday. And then we come back. Lana's in the ring. Fuck her entrance. She's not that important. And we're reminded that Lana and Asuka will face Nia Jackson Shayna this Sunday for the Women's Tag Team Championships at TLC. So Nia Jackson ends up coming down. And did we expect this to really be a great match? I mean, it's the injurer. It's Lana, no talent. <laughs> so, uh, let me not be so harsh. I feel like I'm being a little harsh. Lana does have talent. She's, she's you know, learning over time. But in comparison to other uh, people who should have this spot, she's like watching paint dry. But um, we continue on to this match. To start these off, Nia Jax immediately slams Lana down. Lana gets back to her feet. Jax throws her into the corner, hits a splash. Um, she starts talking shit to Lana, saying, "This is this what you really wanted? Is this what you want?" Oscar watch is watching in the back, trying to cheer Lana on, but you know this is for no, for nothing. Jax ends up throwing Lana down every time she tries to stand up, like a, a bully does to someone in third grade. Then um, Lana runs up the ropes, looks to do a dive. Jax ends up knocking her down onto the top of the turnbuckle. Nia Jax climbs to the middle rope, sets up for a Samoa drop off the middle rope. But Lana slips free, slides down between Jax's huge ass gargantuan legs and attempts to powerbomb Jax. Like, I don't know what she was trying to do, have her asshole shoot out through her shorts Trying to powerbomb Jax, but that's what she tried to do. But uh, she can't. Jack, she kicks Jax, Nia Jax's leg out from under her, which caused her to fall down with her legs locked on the middle rope. 
into like a modified tree of woe. That has got to be the heaviest tree of woe I've ever seen in my life. Lana goes up to the top and hits a double foot stomp, which is, you know, pretty amazing. Hopefully that's Oscar rubbing off on her. And then rolls Jax up using Jax weight against her and scores the, the pinfall. So surprising result. Lana actually got the win. But what was not surprising was the ass whooping that followed. We see Shayna end up attacking Oscar backstage. And Lana's watching it on the big screen. Nia Jax takes advantage of this and takes a bite out of crime. And uh, takes Lana down. Baszler comes out to the ring and both women just start whooping her ass. Baszler, uh, you know, looking like Baron Corbin with hair. Just really pissed off. Ends up um, hitting her with a knee twist. As Lana, you know, begs for help and begs not to do not to do what they're doing. Baszler um, holds Lana's leg so Jax can hit a big leg drop. That's got to be the heaviest leg drop I've ever seen on a woman that size um, on her leg. But off the top, twisted lower left leg. Asuka ends up hitting the ring, takes out Baszler and Jax fighting to protect her partner. And Asuka, hold, uh, you know, holding Lana, consoling her as she sobs. So that's the end of that. We will get no more Lana in TLC. So the story, the the storybook ending to Lana's, uh, you know, underdog story, it looks like it's not going to happen for her. She has to sit out. We'll get more to that later. But next up, we have Elias. And who is Elias in the ring with? The person that we did not forget was super racist a few months ago. So Meltzer, and this is why I don't freaking listen to everything Meltzer says. So you Marks who always go by Meltzer's shit like it's the Bible. Meltzer said this guy would be fired two weeks ago. And lo and behold, this man was not only our main event in a repackaged gimmick. He also debuted on Raw this Monday. So um, yeah, remember the Forgotten Sons? Yeah, I forgot about them too. Well, the leader of, of the Forgotten Sons is a racist douchebag asshole that decided to voice his opinion against Black Lives Matter in the heart of the Black Lives Matter situation. So fuck you, Jackson Riker. You can suck Super Bowls. And honestly, this made me not like Elias a little bit. Like, So you know this guy has this background. You're trying to get over. You've been kind of in this staying in the same position thing. And you think it's okay for them to package you with Jackson Riker. Now you're going to carry this racist asshole prick douchebag on your back when you barely can carry yourself to a fucking title or any kind of run of substance. Nonetheless, we get a pretty funny segment between them with uh, Jackson racist, I mean, uh, whatever his name is, proclaiming to be the bodyguard of Elias and he's going to be you know, defending him from people who interrupt, and then lo and behold, what do we get? We get our truth interrupting and saying, "Hey, Elias, I sorry, I'm sorry for interrupting. The last thing I would want to do is interrupt." And Elias is like, "But that's exactly what you're doing right now." So, um, our truth ends up shutting up. Let's let's Elias do his thing, you know, hyping up the super racist bodyguard he got now. I guess the universal truth outside of WWE standing for Walk with Elias is they're undeniably racist, don't give a shit to cover it up, and will continue to use these races, even though they use their platforms to push these agendas. No punishment, just take off TV time for a little bit, but let's put you in with one of the hottest acts that we're trying to get back over. 
great way to show these races, Vince. Um, but that's the the universal truth that we have a racist on Raw and being portrayed in a big light now. So while truth is out there being quiet, we end up getting Elias trying to sing his song. And once again, we get the entire train of the 24-7 catering crew coming down trying to chase that title. Interrupting once again. And the first thing I said was, maybe I forgive the racist a little bit if he destroys everybody right now. Well, that's exactly what he attempted to do. Destroyed everybody who was interrupting, throwing people on top of people. But that still didn't stem the racial tension and anger that I had watching this man in a big light on Raw. So no, you whipping ass did not make me like you more. And you being paired with Elias makes me hate Elias even more. Even though I never hated him. I like him as a character. I like him as a, you know superstar but now i don't like you because you allowed yourself to be packaged with this bullshit sometimes it's okay to say no no um nonetheless that's what happened with that situation our truth sneaks away with his title while everybody was distracted with uh jackson races i mean Riker, and we move on backstage with the miz morrison and keith lee so this confused me a little bit i don't know what the fuck lee was talking about but he puts he flips a coin. They don't call what the fuck it's for. And then Morrison ends up calling it in the air. He wins the head toss, but he says they both won. And then walks off. Stupid. 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 This is for what? You already got a match. You want to intimidate them? Intimidate them in the ring. If you're gonna have a promo, and this is the thing, people are complaining, oh my god, Keith Lee got sent down to performance center. Oh my god. Keith Lee got grouped up with a bunch of green people to get more lessons. Well, you know what? Hot take. Keith Lee needs the fucking work. He's perfect in the ring, but you do not work like a big man. You have a good personality, but your promos always come off monotone and kind of like the archer of infamy, which we made fun of for about three months before he switched his dialect. And why are we not doing the same thing for... Keith Lee. So Keith Lee needs work on his promo game. And if it's to help him work like a big man, we can't have you two, three, four hundred pounds doing flips every match. You're gonna you're gonna AEW with this. We're gonna expect it every freaking match. It's not gonna be special. We will have to see a hundred dives from Keith Lee before we consider it special again. So I understand them bringing him down if it's for the sole purpose of getting him to work the big guy role. For you idiots who are not knowledgeable, for the people who, you know, were just out of the loop. Big Show has been brought down to OVW to get uh, trained as a big man. Go back to Stone Cold's uh, podcast where he featured the Big Show. How did Big Show learn how to work big man style? It took Stone Cold to smack the shit out of him and piss him off in the ring to actually get a big guy style out of him. And then once Big Show understood that, it clicked. He worked big man style. You know who else? Somebody who inducts people in the Hall of Pain all the time. Mark Henry got sent to OVW, came back, became world champion, had one of the biggest swerve moments in WWE history. So it's not a nail in the coffin when Vince McMahon says, hey, I want these guys to be trained. If anything, be happy that he said, you know what, these five guys need to go down, get a little bit training. Maybe he's giving them a special attention instead of saying, you know what, let me... Like Bully Ray said on his podcast, let me Drew McIntyre them and say, you know what? 
I've seen enough. You need to go. Go get seasoned and come back when you got that sazon, when you got that flavor already. No, they're adding their own herbs and spices to Keith Lee to get that filet mignon cooked right. Stop hating. Let shit unfold. But this ends up going into the Miz and Morrison versus Keith Lee uh, two-on-one match. Keith Lee dominates the entire thing until Miz and Morrison's number game uh, helps them. They end up chop blocking Keith Lee, and they both a dog pile stack to get the pin. Keith Lee is pissed off. He's, you know, irate. Miz and Morrison laughing and enjoying the moment. So Keith Lee, uh, you know, to continue the conversation about Keith Lee, people are bitching and, and complaining. Keith Lee's not the same Keith Lee that we saw in NXT. He has to work a new style. He has to go into the format of the main roster. We're not going to see Keith Lee versus Braun Strowman with Keith Lee jumping and diving and flipping. It just doesn't work. We're not going to see him do that with Brock Lesnar. Maybe in a spot here and there. Right. But you think um, Randy Orton is going to be taking all these dives and flips from Keith Lee? Think about the people he has to play with in this in this you know, new arena. He has a new coach, a new trainer, just like Bully Ray said. When you when you in a, a sports-based atmosphere and you join a new team, just because you ran the point in the last team doesn't mean you run the point in the next team. Just because just because you play triangle offense in the last team doesn't mean you're gonna play the triangle in the next team. New field, new rules, new things to get used to. And if anything, they've been protecting Keith Lee because out of all his matches. The ones that he's lost, either been by a DQ, been by something that made him still look like the stronger guy. So, like, the tribal chief over on SmackDown tells you guys, let them cook steak. Let them make filet mignon, all right? Not this kibbles and bits, out-the-bag bullshit steak that you guys obviously like to chew on. So, next up, we got a video package with Orton and The Fiend, building the feud between them. And Orton discovering about Fiend's new weakness of Alexa Bliss and all that f fine and dandy buildup leading into a Firefly Funhouse field trip. And what does that mean? That just means that Bray Wyatt walked to the ring. That's it. And the puppets was on the side. Nothing field trippy about it. But just like almost everything, they wanted to like make a theme out of it with the Christmas theme in the beginning and... WWE, just give us a wrestling show. Stop packing shit that's unnecessary. But we get The Fiend come out, and he's pretty much telling some jokes, laughing many, you know, maniacally to his puppets in, in the ring. And um, eventually, after we see Bray Wyatt laugh to himself for about 10 minutes, Randy Orton finally pops on the Titantron and challenges Bray Wyatt to a game of hide-and-seek. Which Bray Wyatt obliges, goes to the back, and starts his hunt for Randy Orton. Next up, another recap. Guys, if you're counting, this is the fourth recap of the show. Another recap, Ricochet and Retribution. And it seems like the only people that Retribution actually beat is Ricochet. We have Ricochet versus Mace, which is a horrible name for Dio Madden. Can't stand it. And again, for you guys who are complaining about the guys who got brought down to the Performance Center, getting these extra lessons, we had Otis on Friday Night SmackDown, we have Keith Lee nonstop on Raw, and Dio Madden, a.k.a. Mace, and not the one that went back to church. 
is actually having a match. So stop complaining. Um, typical match between you know a big guy and a small guy of ricochet stature. I'd probably give this about a six and a half. I'm not too. I'm not sold on retribution. I'm tired of waiting for them to be cool. I'm tired of waiting for them to be dominant, and it's just not happening. So um, let's let's go towards the end of this match. So Ali uh, is on was on commentary for this. You know, every time the Amanda did some stupid shit, he looked disappointed, which he should ninety percent of the time because the entire group is disappointing. So um, we get. In the ring, Ricochet ends up taking control. Ali tells T-Bar Slapjack to get involved. Ricochet fights them off without them striking him. So it wasn't the DQ. The distraction uh, helps Mace end it with a sit-out powerbomb to pick up the win. Uh, Mace, change your fucking name. Dio is unique enough. You could have stood with Dio Madden. Um, Retribution, after the match, gets in the ring, stands over Rakake. Um, Ali yells at him. And says, this doesn't end until I say it does. And they pose over him in typical heel fashion for the commercial break. Um, Retribution needs to end. And that's all I got to say about that. So backstage again, we got Bray and Matt Riddle. And Matt Riddle's trying to promote his bro nuts. Even to Bray Wyatt's crazy ass. So he pitches a new segment for the Firefly Funhouse called Bro Nouns. In which he'll teach kids about pronouns. <laughs> Why he says he'll take it under consideration. And then continues his hide and seek with Orin. Then Rambling Rabbit pops up behind Riddle. And Riddle says that the rabbit reminds him of Baby Yoda. And declares Rambling Rabbit as Baby Broda. I'm loving Matt Riddle. A lot of people have been complaining on the boards that he's too dopey. Dude, that's literally who he is. <laughs> Fucking dope hat. <laughs> All he does is smoke pot. And obviously with the relaxed rules and regulations going on across the country, obviously WWE has been relaxing their rules. If not, fighting his ass, you know what? You make your WWE money, I'll take a fine for some weed. But that's who Matt Riddle is. And I'm enjoying that they, instead of trying to find a meaningful and... No, you're leaning into the comedy... Something Matt Riddle does best. Come on, his entire gimmick is a comedy. Comes out and flip-flops and throws them at you to start the fucking match. So, I like what's happening with Riddle. So, let's move on. We have the match with Shayna Baszler versus Dana Brooke. And, admittedly, Dana Brooke looking the best she's ever looked in ring and all around. Um, so, you know, hats off to Dana Brooke. They need to give this girl more shine, more... Uh, Big wins. So we start off with Shayna being aggressive, taking down Brooke into the corner. Baszler as a standing on Brooke's face while pulling her left arm up and yanking it. Uh, Baszler twists the arm down, kind of like what she did to Lana's leg, and goes to stomp on it, but Dana ends up escaping. She fires up, shoves Baszler into the corner, takes Baszler down with the pullback clothesline. Dana Brooke climbs up to the top rope, but Nia Jax hops up on the apron, shoves her down, causing a DQ. Because, of course, if I lose, my partner has to lose tonight as well. So after the match, Baszler and Jax beat on Dana Brooke until Mandy Rose returns, running down with a big-ass kendo stick. Rose is wearing new black leather, which we love her in anything. But Rose ends up trying to fight them off until Asuka comes down to... You know, even things up because, of course, Nia Jax is like three three women. 
So um, they even the odds. They uh, chase the chaps out the ring as they all stand tall in the ring. So they kept saying on commentary, oh, Asuka has to find a new partner. Asuka has to find a new partner. No, she's the women's champion. How about she doesn't get her fucking title shot? They hold it until Lana comes back. And the returning Mandy Rose, who got injured a few weeks ago by the injurer Nia Jax, gets her matchup. They actually fucking pull off this win at TLC and take the titles away from the injurer. And give Shayna a good storyline feud with Asuka for the Women's Championship. Now, that's what the hell we want to see. Uh, and the backstage with R-Truth again. He's talking about how he bought the PlayStation 6. You lucky bastard. People can't even buy the PlayStation 5. He's out here with the PlayStation 6. So, um, as I tell him, talking about his nephew got three to five minutes of detention. Blah, 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 blah. And it just basically leads up to... Bray Wyatt coming up to him looking for Randy Orton. Huskis the pig is there, and he hilariously says Huskis is Bray Wyatt's son, and that they are a beautiful family. I'm surprised Bray Wyatt didn't go ape shit and fuck him up right there. <laughs> but um, commercial come back. Wyatt is still walking backstage, calling out for Orton, and uh, he ends up finding him backstage. He he sees this. Rocking chair reminiscent of his early Bray Wyatt cult uh, member days. The chair rocking in the dark room by itself with a single light shining on the chair. Obviously, he gets drawn to it. Sits in the chair and Randy Orton proceeds to whoop his ass. Now, this segment was like borderline cheesy, borderline awesome. Because we have the a big-ass box that was like, okay, why is that random box there? Something's going to happen with that box. Sure enough, Randy Orton beats up Bray Wyatt. Throws him in the box. I'm like, okay. Now he's going to destroy the box and the Fiend is going to come. This is me thinking before it happens. Sure enough, Randy Orton's sick and twisted ass ends up pouring gasoline on the box. which Because, you know, arson is completely legal in the WWE Universe. Lights the box on fire. Maybe a minute passes. The Fiend pops out. The visual looked really dope. Cheesy because I already know. Come on. How many times have we seen a big-ass box just randomly there? You're going to do something with it. So, cheesy in that sense. But the visual was awesome. Fiend comes out. You know, the background on fire. Puts Randy Orton into the mandible claw. Chokes him out. I love when the Fiend does his the little stick, out, the tongue out the mask thing. Like, he gets the mannerisms of the body language and, and the expressions the sounds he makes when he's attacking the people. He gets that all down to a T. Probably best character work. This is probably Taker, arguably. Um, and, you know, reminiscent of the three faces of Foley with Bray Wyatt juggling his funhouse Bray Wyatt character and then transitioning into the Fiend in moments of injury or, or harm. Looks like the Fiend is like his version of the Hulk. Whenever Bray Wyatt's in trouble, the Fiend pops out, so... Cool segment. Go back and check that out. Probably, to me, one of the highlights of the whole Fiend situation this week. Then we get Matt Riddle versus MVP, which probably isn't even worth mentioning how quick it was. It lasted probably two minutes. Uh, Matt Riddle ends up taking the win. That shit was really quick. Then we get to the main event, which was a Ascension Ceremony, which was pretty weird to me because why are you ascending the title for the money for excuse me for the TLC match that's this Sunday when we do have another show on Friday 
completely different brand, don't insult Iron Talent. Just act like you're going to lift it today and it's going to stay up there all night. So going into the segment, I was already like, all right, they're just going to fight, which is exactly what happened. Uh, tables, ladders, chairs all set up in the ring. Drew McIntyre and AJ Styles each have a chance to pretty much speak their case. AJ Styles pretty much speaking to the lack of experience when it comes to the TLC match of Drew McIntyre, this being his first ever t tables, ladders, and chairs match. And Drew McIntyre pretty much agrees. Yeah, I'm inexperienced, but I'm the champ. I'm the champ in the most chaotic era of um, WWE with this pandemic situation. And he's soldiered through it, lost his title, got it back. You know, understands what it is to not only be champion now, but what it's like to actually keep the title and stay champion. So good segment, good promo for both these guys. Ends up with, uh, once again, Drew McIntyre in a situation where he's three and counting almost four on one, and he gets the better of Miz and Morrison. It, it just doesn't make sense. These guys get the ass whoop. They disappear in, into obscurity. AJ Styles and almost end up getting the better of uh, Drew McIntyre. <clears throat> Excuse me. Ends up getting the better of Drew McIntyre. And uh, Styles ends up setting McIntyre up on the table. Climbs the ladder. Hits him with a Shawn Michaels style elbow drop off of the ladder through the table. Styles ends up climbing the ladder. And takes the title standing on the ladder to close the show. And, and what an awkward ending that was. You have the champion down in a situation you just beat him with chairs. You just put him through a table. Where the hell did Miz go? Where the hell did Morrison go to pick Miz up so they could do something about this? Stop putting the Miz in situations where you can easily cash in just for him to be thrown to the side and forgotten. The way the show closed was awkward it, it felt like they ran out of time, which was stupid because it was 11 on the dot. And they always get a good 5-10 minute leeway on, on USA Network. So that's not even an excuse. They are booking themselves into a hole when it comes to Miz and his Money in the Bank briefcase and John Morrison. Not only are you making Morrison look less than in the eyes of the fans because he's the lackey of the Miz... You're making the Miz look less than because every time he's in a situation that he can capitalize and like a real heel would cash in that fucking briefcase and become the champion, you have him get Claymore kicked or thrown outside lightly and then boom, he disappears the entire segment. This makes perfect sense why this was the lowest viewed episode. Too many recaps, too many, uh, too much talking, first of all, and then we saw this last week. This entire situation with Ms. Morrison, Drew McIntyre. We saw this shit almost to a T. Except last week, Drew McIntyre ended up standing tall at the end. It's the same shit. Book better before I go down to fucking Stanford and force you guys to give me a goddamn job. I, I'm too creative for this shit. I'm giving my best ideas to the podcast. I know you guys be listening because 90% of the time I call shit out 
or our, our predict is going to happen, and you guys copy or change direction, somebody's listening to this podcast. That 50 to 55 group is definitely working for us. And with that being said, I can rant all day. That was the uh, raw wrap-up. This was the K- uh, the excuse me, the Kayfabe Avenue podcast. You can find me at Kayfabe Avenue on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. Join the group. Join the conversation. Follow the podcast on YouTube. You can see most of our ver- video versions, the visual versions of these podcasts on YouTube. So like, share, and subscribe. Speaking of subscribing, hit that support link on Anchor. Hit that support link on Apple Podcasts. Donate. Subscribe to the podcast. Donate what you can. Keep the lights going. Keep the Kayfabe Avenue train rolling. And with that being said, I have been Kayfabe AJ. This has been Kayfabe Avenue. That was the raw wrap-up. Austin, tell these dudes to start booking better and take us home. And that's the bottom line. Why? Because Austin Cole said so. Thank you very much, you son of a bitch.